This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. On September 14th, President Barack Obama gave a speech in New York to mark the anniversary of the Lehman Brothers' failure. It was a year ago, and during the course of a single jaw-dropping week, the investment bank declared bankruptcy. Bank of America took over Merrill Lynch, and the U.S. federal government bailed out American Insurance Group. How has Wall Street changed during the past year, and what will these changes mean for investors? What new financial regulations have been discussed, and what remains to be done? How much longer will it take the U.S. economy to emerge from the woods? Knowledge at Wharton spoke with finance professors Jeremy Siegel and Richard Herring to get their take on these questions and more. Let's start by uh, talking about President Obama's speech in New York yesterday. What did you think of it? Well, like many of his speeches, it um, was strong on aspiration but short on details. Um, It was uh, highly symbolic to rattle a saber at uh, Wall Street in the the den of the problem. But um, at this point, it really depends on what Congress does with what he's proposed. He's proposed a reform that is... Uh, both timid and bold. It's timid in that it really doesn't do much to the regulatory structure, but it's bold in proposing some fairly radical um, attempts to control the non-bank financial institutions that have proved very troublesome in the current crisis. Uh, I thought it was fairly good. He's restating his proposals that uh, the Treasury actually uh, put out quite a few months ago um, of which uh, some I support, uh, and um, uh, there are some good points in those proposals. There's a few that that do trouble me. Um, I am pleased that uh, he said, I've always been a strong believer in the power of the free market. And uh, <laughs> for someone who's been co- uh, accused of being a socialist or a communist, uh, <laughs> um, I mean, those are, uh, those are welcome wor- words. I actually think that he is not anti-Wall Street. Uh, so, uh, I, I think there needs to be some reforms and, um, I think uh, some of the proposals are good ones. Uh, we'll come back to the reforms in a moment, but since you mentioned Wall Street, uh, in the year since the collapse of Lehman Brothers, how has Wall Street changed and what will these changes mean for the stock markets and for investors? Well, we saw, I mean, the whole concept of the iBank, investment bank, is, is, is totally changed. Um, uh, it, 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 it killed itself as a standalone uh, institution. It either had to be absorbed in another commercial bank, such as Bear Stearns, uh, or because in the case of Lehman's liquidated, or, uh, or, or basically uh, uh, taking on a uh, commercial bank, uh, bank holding company status to get Fed uh, access. So basically what we saw is these institutions got so big um, and uh, then when capital dried up, they, they kind of panicked and said, I have to have, uh, I have, to have access uh, to the Fed, became bank holding companies, uh, even Goldman Sachs, the most successful of all the in, uh, investment banks. We can speculate on, on, on what's going to happen. Maybe the hedge funds will be the new investment banks uh, in, in the future. Um, uh, I think the power of the Fed uh, and, uh, is, is, is enhanced as a result of the crisis 
uh, that we see and the ability to snap your fingers and get capital from the market uh, is, is, is something that uh, many firms are going to have to think uh, two or three times about. It's not going to be as easy in the future. Well, I think it's changed surprisingly little, given um, the gravity of the situation and our near-death experience. Uh, It is true that some uh, very well-known and well-respected institutions have disappeared, but they have uh, more or less morphed into larger institutions. And so while we had several institutions that were too big to fail, we have now fewer institutions that are emphatically too big to fail. And um, the approach, in my mind, started to go wrong with uh, Bear Stearns, but it became most obvious in the case of Lehman Brothers and AIG because we demonstrated within the space of really two days that we had absolutely no capacity to resolve large, insolvent, non-bank institutions. We just didn't have the right tools to do it. Now, the Obama administration, without being very specific, has at least recognized that's a problem. But unfortunately, the um, delays in implementing any kind of change uh, may endanger the whole reform project because um, these institutions are lobbying very heavily to um, not change anything. Uh, Some of the institutions are going to be paying out record bonuses again. Um, In fact, the government has set up a situation where they can be very uh, easily arbitraged by institutions that are getting essentially subsidized federal money and uh, taking risky positions and collecting easy profits. Uh, So in some sense, I think we've made the situation worse. Um, I think Raj Cohen has a very nice phrase. um, Lots of people are talking about green shoots all over the economy, and he sees them largely as parachutes. Uh, You could say that uh, in terms of the uh, uh, cash for clunkers program, because that's why retail sales mainly went up. That's not sustainable. Um, You could see it in terms of uh, the profits a lot of firms have made um, because they're dealing with um, subsidized federal funds and they are um, being supported in certain markets by Fed intervention, which is now really taking a view on the the structure of rates, not just the level of interest rates. And the credit structure of interest rates has always been something that we've let the market decide. And you can no longer depend on that. Well, a lot has been said during the past 12 months about financial reform. Uh, in fact, in his speech yesterday, President Obama called it the most ambitious overhaul of the financial regulatory system since the Great Depression. Uh, what do you believe has been accomplished so far? Well, so far, almost literally nothing, except um, to encourage everyone to believe there are at least 19 institutions that are too big to fail. So, so far, all that has been accomplished is to um, make the moral hazard problem even worse. Uh, That's uh, not fair to his reforms, because his proposal does recognize those problems and tries to pull back on them. It's just not clear how he's going to get them through Congress. Um, It's not like a parliamentary uh, system where um, even though he's a very popular president who controls strong majorities in both the House and the Senate, um, it's still uh, very much a a trilateral uh, sort of uh, separation of powers. And Congress has enormous power both to move and to obstruct in this case, and lobbyists have enormous power in Congress. Um, 
some obvious combinations um, he didn't even suggest because he knew they were politically impossible. For example, the CFTC and the SEC both regulate derivatives, um, but um, uh, the CFTC regulates them on exchange, the SEC in principle off exchange. Makes no sense to have both of them, really. But historically, the CFTC has regulated commodities, and so they're controlled by the Agriculture Committee. And the SEC is controlled by the Senate Finance Committee. Both those committees count heavily on contributions from lobbyists from those industries to be reelected. And so they're not at all eager to consider consolidation, even though it would make a lot of sense. Uh, what that leads to is a situation where you can have a lot of regulatory arbitrage. And really, the only regulatory arbitrage he's dealing with um, at all directly is um, the OTS, the Office of Thrift Supervision, which um, has thoroughly disgraced itself in the last uh, round, well, for some years. But um, they're responsible for the largest loss the FDIC has ever uh, maintained and even condoned backdating of capital. Uh, finally, it looks like uh, there's at least a proposal to merge them with the OCC, which is also uh, a creature of the Treasury, an independent creature, presumably, but housed in the Treasury just like the OTS. Uh, and they would both be um, replaced with a, a consolidated office of bank supervision. Um, but he hasn't talked about uh, an even more sweeping reform, which would place the other bank supervisory bodies in that same place, because the Fed feels, as a matter of theology, that they have to have a hand in bank supervision, and the FDIC, because they uh, pay the bill when things go wrong, uh, also feels they need to be involved. So it's um, not at all clear what's going to come out of Congress, and I guess I would say it's pretty clear it's not going to come out quickly. Well, very little actually of the reform package has actually been put in place. Uh, the most important uh, 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 issues and, and actions that have been taken have actually uh, been those of uh, the Federal Reserve in terms of providing uh, uh, liquidity to the system. Uh, also increasing deposit insurance, uh, extending that deposit insurance to more classes of deposits. That's certainly something that the, the, that the, the Treasury did, uh, and, and it was extremely uh, important. Uh, the most important aspect of the reform package that the Treasury has put out and is a part of Obama's uh, uh, proposals is uh, that um, basically, we're going to identify a group of financial institutions that are, quote, too big to fail. Uh, if they are, they're going to be called class one financial uh, 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 institutions. And if they fall into that, they're going to have to have a lot of capital and a lot of cushion so that the government doesn't uh, end up holding the bag. Uh, and it won't be just to banks is what we've had that for a long time, but it's going to apply to all financial institutions. I mean, when we look back at the crisis, uh, there was, um, we had a way to unwind banks that are in trouble. We had no way to un unwind large non-bank financial institutions, um, uh, such as Lehman, and especially such as AIG, which is even further away. How do you unwind them? Well, we need procedures and proposals uh, to unwind those as well as uh, what we already have for the banking system. 
what remains to be done as far as financial reforms go? Well, I think that that's the most important one. Now, there's a lot of debate about should we have a too big to fail. Um, I, I think there's no way around that to some extent. I mean, because um, uh, but 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 to become too big to fail, don't think that that's a free ride because. If you ever get to that status, the the government will now put a lot of capital requirements and other requirements on you. In fact, it might be that once uh, they see what happens when you become too big to fail and the requirements, many firms will choose to stay under that radar and we might end up with smaller firms. But once you come, become big enough... You, you get one thing, you'll get protection, protection from the government on your senior bondholders, but you're going to have to provide a lot of capital in terms of common, in terms of preferred, in terms of subordinated debentures, uh, uh, people that are going to have to take that hit uh, in order to get the protection on, on the basics. So it's not going to be an unalloyed, hey, I all, you know, everyone wants it the way some of the critics that I've seen actually do it. And, and honestly, I think that that is the way to go. Uh, into the future, um, uh, the realities are um, that uh, we that there will become very big financial institutions, and if they become that big, they will have to be under uh, very stringent capital requirements. Well, to me, the most important thing, which got only uh, a paragraph in his proposal. Um, and which the British, incidentally, I guess I've, I've just talked about quite seriously yesterday, is something I've been pushing for um, a long time. Um, I've been calling it a winding down plan. Uh, the British, for a little harsher, and called it a funeral plan. But I think that uh, the only real solution to the too-big-to-fail problem is to um, make it clear that there is a plan to wind down or um, get rid of any institution. And if they cannot produce a plan that shows they can be wound down without intolerable spillovers, uh, that would be passed by their board and, by, um, and checked by the supervisors and the college's supervisors in the case of international firms, then they'd be forced to restructure in a way so that they could be wound down or might even have to spin off divisions. But um, since we know regulation is never going to be perfect and we're never going to prevent these crises from happening, and since we've actually set up incentives for these institutions to take bigger risks by permitting them to be bigger and bigger and bailing them out whenever they go wrong, uh, with the exception of Lehman, um, and that in itself, I guess, was um, a turning point because you may recall the G20 met soon afterward and the, the newspaper headlines was uh, G20 vows never another layman. So that even experimenting with um, using bankruptcy in that situation made it clear that henceforth they were never going to uh, go that way again. Or at least there's a pretty good chance they won't unless um, institutions can be... Uh, controlled a little more ex ante. Um, there are very few uh, arguments for having very large institutions. There's nothing in the academic literature that suggests there are substantial economies of scale or scope above 100 billion at most 
nothing that justifies having $2 trillion institutions around. Um, yet the regulators are actually facilitating the, the uh, growth of these institutions by, uh, in a panic, plastering them together and uh, hoping they'll work. But um, they get an advantage in the market that's really not fair to all the other players because they are implicitly too big to fail. They can borrow on better terms. Or like AIG, they can offer guarantees without ever really having reserves to back them up. And uh, it simply distorts the whole system and leads it toward riskier uh, positions. It's hard to sort of talk about reform without talking about the reformers. Uh, I wonder if you could help us evaluate the policies of uh, Treasury Secretary Tim Geithner and uh, the Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke. Well, on the positive side, you could say they've been very innovative. <laughs> uh, looked at another way, you could say they've been very panicky because um, uh, for a while last year, every weekend had yet another crisis that had to be somehow resolved. And as a result, we have at least a dozen new Fed programs. Um, the Fed has moved well beyond its original mandate of, of uh, basically accepting only very high-class collateral um, and uh, uh, is now accepting all kinds of collateral uh, and making uh, guarantees for assets on the books of banks. It's uh, supporting various markets that it wants to recover. Uh, the TARP fund, which was completely incoherent in its first version, uh, finally got passed and, um, to everyone's surprise, became a problem, uh, became a program to recapitalize banks rather than restore liquidity to subprime debt, which was a fool's errand anyhow. Um, but unfortunately, um, banks were recapitalized without asking anything much of them in return. So we didn't get greater transparency. We didn't get a separation of good assets and bad assets. It was really a kind of uh, forbearance. And there's been lots of actual forbearance going on because uh, we know the FDIC has identified at least 400 banks that are on its problem bank list. Uh, but they only have the capacity to fail at most four, maybe five a weekend. Um, and um, you have great sympathy with that approach because uh, if they ever do one badly, then that could be a source of systemic risk. Their intention is always to move in over the weekend and open up on Monday morning so uh, insured depositors do not lose access to um, uh, any service, which is um, you know, really the best uh, deposit insurance system in the world. Um, but they're being overwhelmed by the uh, breadth and, and depth of the problems, which could, in fact, um, become more serious. And there are also probably buried problems in other sectors that have much more forgiving accounting. We saw these problems in the investment banks and many of the major banks first because they were essentially – well, investment banks have always had a mark-to-market or fair value tradition – but the commercial banks were really engaging in regulatory arbitrage because if you hold a risky asset in your banking book, um, it has a much higher capital charge against it than if you hold it in your trading book. The downside of holding it in your trading book, though, is that you have to fair value it. 
And so you found uh, Citibank in particular, but UBS and other banks were taking massive write-downs along with the investment banks because they had uh, made an arbitrage uh, decision and and lost, essentially. Um, So there's great confusion about where the remaining losses reside. Uh, we know that, that Europe bought about 60% of the stuff, and um, they've not really uh, worked through the losses. They seem to have more discretion about when they reveal it. Um, insurance companies operate with a very forgiving accounting system. That means it could be a long time before we see the losses develop there. And the smaller and medium-sized banks um, tended, I think, to stay out of the collateralized stuff. Um, but are heavily involved in commercial real estate, which is, in some sense, the next shoe to drop. And uh, that's mainly in their banking books, which means the markdowns take place um, only when management decides to do it or they're compelled to do so by their regulators. So it's a very discretionary process. Uh, So that could drag out over a long period of time. I think that Bernanke has done uh, a, a stellar job. Uh, I strongly supported him for renomination, and of course, he was renominated. Um, the only weakness, uh, several weaknesses in Bernanke. Uh, one, of course, he didn't see the crisis coming, but almost no one in government did. Um, his uh, uh, complicity with Paulson in presenting the TARP proposals was very poor. It was very poorly done. It wasn't well prepared. And the truth of the matter is, as I indicated before, uh, TARP wasn't necessary. Uh, believe it or not, what was necessary for was for the Fed to just say, all right, I've got an alternative way uh, to protect these banks. And they did take those measures with Citi and with Bank of America, which was actually to put a fence around large classes of assets uh, and give these banks non-recourse loans. Uh, and in fact, that is the heart of the, the, the new public-private investment corporation partnership. PIPIC is non-recourse loans. That's what makes it actually uh, go. But we don't really need that. that. That turned out to be the solution. It was kind of, hey, yeah, you know what? I can do this. I don't need all this other Unfortunately, in the heat of the day, they didn't think about it. Uh, TARP became a, a, a political football, badly managed, and still, you know, raises the hackles of millions of people. Uh, that could have been avoided. But when you take the whole picture, uh, we instituted the measures that prevented a repeat of the Great Depression and financial crisis of the 1930s. Uh, the economy is uh, well on its way to mending. Uh, we're going to talk about that, I'm sure, maybe in a few minutes. Um, uh, and I expect it to continue that way. So, uh, of course, yes, there were some mistakes that were made, but the big picture was uh, a success. Uh, and Tim Geithner? Okay. Um, I, I, uh, I don't have strong feelings one way or the other, um, uh, I, I thought Paulson made particularly missteps, and Geithner has been on the, on, on the front at, at supporting what the Fed is doing and, and gave basically the, the Treasury uh, proposal. Let me mention, because I, uh, I did say there's some things of the Treasury proposal that I, I don't like, and one of the aspects that I think is very dangerous <clears throat> is that the Treasury proposal uh, includes – um, 
a, an approval period by Congress for any loans that are made by the Federal Reserve, and that could be very damaging. The Fed has to have <coughs> maximum uh, flexibility uh, to put any delay in them getting the loan I think could be uh, uh, fatal. So I hope that provision, which, by the way, I believe was put in as a nod to Congress to get them to pass the proposal, uh, is deleted in uh, the final set of uh, rules and regulations. Is there anything that uh, Tim Geithner and Ben Bernanke could have done differently during the past year? We could talk about <clears throat> Lehman Brothers uh, and whether they should have presented Lehman, uh, prevented Lehman from failing. And <clears throat> the truth of the matter is probably you could say yes, but uh, it probably would have rolled to another institution and another institution. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, But probably they should have uh, come in stronger and, and, and saying we're going to, we're going to um, protect these bondholders uh, and, and, and these contracts, these others we won't, and, make, uh, th- th- and be prepared for it. They were terribly unprepared for the Lehman, uh, particularly the fact that some of the big money funds held Lehman paper, which were forced to break down. That was a surprise, threw them into a panic. That's why they saved AIG on the following, uh, in the following day. Um, <clears throat> all those could have been better prepared for. Monday morning quarterbacking is always easy. Uh, um, on the whole, again, let me emphasize the liquidity measures taken by the Federal Reserve, uh, the um, dropping interest rates to near zero, uh, the tremendous provision of reserves and lending facilities have been extraordinarily important and the key to preventing this financial crisis from rolling in to uh, Great Depression number two. Is there anything the regulators could have done differently? Oh, I think there are lots of things the regulators could have done differently. Um, This is often talked of as a a private sector failure, and indeed it was, but it was equally a, a regulatory sector failure. Um, the, uh, and that's the reason I am, uh, I'm so put off by many of the proposals in the Obama proposal, uh, because, uh, many of the suggestions are to um, just regulate more. Well, we had hundreds of examiners in Citicorp looking at the same uh, toxic debt that was on the books of, of other banks, and they didn't recognize it. So it's very hard to um, imagine that you're without really upgrading the talent and the uh, uh, pay especially of um, the regulatory system that you're actually going to get a much better result um, unless you um, have some way of holding regulators accountable. Um, what we thought we had in place to uh, prevent this sort of thing from happening was a prompt corrective action system that would be triggered by a decline in capital. Well, in almost every case where a bank has gone out and under over the last uh, two years, their primary regulator has said a week before that they had way more capital than the minimum and that uh, there was no reason to worry, which simply means the capital standards are uh, completely uh, misleading and useless. What the market is focusing on, and I think rightfully so, is not the official definition of capital, but on tangible equity. Um, 
But that too has its problems because we don't account for things um, necessarily in uh, a way that reveals their true market value. Um, but it's a better measure, certainly, than Tier 1 and Tier 2, which um, really are not available to meet losses by and large, although Tier 1 does include tangible equity in it. But it includes lots of other stuff that um, really isn't relevant to somebody who's worried about what they're going to get out of a bankruptcy. What's your view of uh, how things are with the U.S. economy? Are we out of the woods Well, I'd like to um, believe that all these green shoots are the, the real thing, but it seems to me that we're basically on life support and that although it does appear things have turned around, most of it appears to have been the result of government subsidies of one sort or another. Uh, so I was quite surprised in, the gov- in Obama's speech that he had uh, determined that he didn't think we were going to need another Uh, fiscal policy, fiscal boost. Um, the problem, I think, is that the consumer sector, which has always been the engine of the U.S. economy, became terribly overleveraged, um, and you can see it by looking at long-term trends. Um, we, in, in 2007, had a, a debt-to-GDP ratio that was equivalent to what we had in 1929. Uh, we've never had one as high before, but uh, you know, leverage in both cases got us into terrible trouble. What was different in the two cases is which sectors were leveraged. And in this case, it was the household sector that was enormously over-leveraged, but even more so the financial sector. So this was really a problem that um, was centered on financial institutions and consumers. Now, consumers are facing... Um, funding their post-retirement with, um, what is it, 14 trillion less in assets than they once had. And it's got to be a priority for them to um, increase their savings. And with unemployment rising, that's yet another reason that um, I'm a little skeptical about the, the uh, numbers that we've seen. The cash for clunkers, I think, simply uh, shifted around Uh, the uh, pattern of spending moved it forward rather than uh, something that would have happened anyway later. Uh, and I'm not sure it was the wisest use of government funds when we have bridges falling down and, and uh, a lack of mass transportation. But uh, nonetheless, it, it did have a boost for the figures that Wall Street seems to be very happy about. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely – I mean, we're out, of the, we're out of the recession. The recovery – Uh, will be looked at as uh, July, uh, approximately by the NBR, which would probably make its decision in around six months. Uh, we're going to have around 3.5% GDP growth in this quarter, uh, which is quite good. Um, we are definitely on the road. And not only are we, but the world is on the road to recovery. Um, it doesn't mean it's instantaneous. Uh, we, we dug ourselves a big hole. We need you know, growth of 4% to 5% for quite a few quarters to begin to take up the slack Uh, that the hole that we dug actually uh, makes up. It will happen. It may take a, a number of years, but we will, in my opinion, experience a 3% plus growth going forward. I'm hoping some of the growth in some of the quarters will be 4% to 5%, and I think that they will. Uh, what about the rest of the world economy? Uh, uh, where are the areas of strength and weakness? Asia has shown particular strength. I mean, they, uh, China has led the way in, in, in really fiscal packages. Um, 
and, and shows a very good recovery. It was a very sharp recession in Asia because manufacturing contracted so sharply. So uh, fourth quarter of of last year, first quarter of this year, very sharp, but very big bounce backs. And I'm including Japan even in, in that. So uh, Asia has been ba- bouncing back stronger, but it, it fell further. Uh, a, uh, Europe is showing a bounce back also. We see really the uh, a bounce back in the entire world. It was the first coordinated world recession that we've had. Um, and we are uh, getting a coordinated a world uh, recovery. Well, Europe has held up much better than I would have guessed. I still don't quite understand what's happened in Germany, except they had a very successful cash for clunkers <laughs> program too. Um, Germany uh, had a rotten first quarter just as we did. I think they were down 7.5%. Uh, yet they seem to have rebounded, which is surprising because they are still primarily an export-oriented economy. And it's not clear who's buying uh, except Asia. And um, it is more and more clear that if there isn't going to be an engine for the world economy, it's not going to be the U.S. consumer this time. It's going to be coming out of China, which makes it a kind of peculiar time to start picking trade wars with China. Um, But... uh, not everything the government does is coherent. How about the Middle East? Um, it all depends on the price of oil. And if the world economy doesn't pick up, the price of oil is not going to pick up. And uh, I don't think the Middle East has really made the um, transition from being basically a commodity-producing area into a, a more diversified economy. So I, I don't see them as uh, being able to lead uh, the, the uh, world out of a recession. In fact, I see them as being very vulnerable to a world recession. So with 2020 hindsight, uh, what are the main lessons we should be learning uh, from the financial and economic crisis? And can it happen again? Oh, quite certainly it can happen again. It's been happening with some regularity, but uncertain regularity. That's what makes it uh, 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 difficult to deal with ever since the beginning of capitalism. Um, And we can find bubbles in all sorts of markets, but bubbles in uh, real estate markets tend to be most punishing to the economy because the financial sector is so heavily involved in real estate. Um, And um, the unemployment consequences are usually greater. It's usually a greater fiscal cost. It usually takes longer to recover. But It happens every 20 years or so, just about the time the generation turns over and people have forgotten. Um, But, you know, this had many causes. There was uh, a macro policy that facilitated a run-up in housing prices. There was a complete breakdown in due diligence at every stage in the the securitization process, which otherwise is probably one of the best financial innovations that occurred in the post-World War era. Uh, but it was just pushed too far, and for no good reason. Um, it was doing uh, no good for anyone but the investment bankers. Uh, I think it would be very useful to set in place a reform that would um, uh, set up best standards for securitization and uh, I think would discourage a lot of the complexity that we have um, 
come into. It, it, it was really striking that not only did the buyers of this product not understand it, but those who manufactured it didn't understand it. <laughs> they bore some of the biggest losses by holding what they thought were some of the safest tranches. So um, things really got out of hand. It, um, we were introducing products without having risk models to control them or really even understanding how they had to be valued. Um, now, how do you deal with that? I don't think regulation is the answer because every time you get a regulator who understands the models that well, they'll be bought over to industry. And um, uh, that's not going to be a lasting, uh, unless we greatly change uh, the uh, relative uh, uh, salary of regulators, um, which I think is unlikely. Um, so I think you're going to have to depend on market discipline. But to get market discipline, you've really got to permit the possibility of failure. And uh, so I think most of the energy should be um, really focused on how you can let institutions fail without bringing the system down with it. And a lot of it has to do with what the government itself has done. Uh, the reason that, that Citicor has... 2,400 majority-owned subsidiaries is maybe partly because they want to be too complex to fail, but it's mainly because of regulations and taxes they're trying to uh, avoid, which is legal rather than evade. But the regulators know about it, and they have uh, policies in place they could change that would make that uh, much less attractive. Well, I, I think if you, as long as you have free markets, you, you can have a crisis. But I'll, you know, this was the first one of this magnitude in seventy years, and I'll take that seventy years till the next one. I think that's a pretty good job. I mean, before we had the Federal Reserve, and uh, you know, we used to have a crisis like this every ten years. Um, so uh, the Fed, uh, after failing dramatically in the thirties, which it should have prevented, you know, it's been seventy years since the next, and it did the right thing instead of the wrong thing. And so this recession won't become a depression. Uh, I, I, when we look back, the fast action by the Fed, even though they didn't foresee it. Uh, the, uh, the rapid provision of liquidity and reserves, uh, the facilities to uh, st restart the lending uh, in the markets will be seen as the key that prevented us from going into uh, Great uh, Depression uh, number two. Uh, I also think that we can say that really both, uh, uh, both uh, you know, used to be, when I was getting my education, there was always debates about Friedman and uh, versus Keynes, uh, monetarists versus Keynesians on which way, view was right. I think both views were right uh, in the sense that um, uh, it was a, a shock that, uh, you know, caused a cave-in in, in aggregate demand, which was very Keynesian. Uh, but the solution was very Friedmanite in the sense of protecting the banks and the monetary institutions and, and providing liquidity. Uh, you know, he unfortunately died a few years ago. But I, I know him well enough to know that he would have, he would have uh, advocated exactly the measures that Bernanke had taken, which was to provide enough liquidity to prevent uh, the financial system uh, from collapsing the way it did in the 1930s. So, you know, we can actually, uh, I think, take some, uh, you know, uh, hope out of this that, yes, we actually had been viewing – what our lessons from the 1930s were properly and using 
those uh, lessons, uh, we have repeat. Uh, we have prevented a repeat of uh, the disaster that befell us um, uh, 70 years ago. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.